Yummy, yummy, ah, in honor of Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Which anime movie should Katie watch next so she understands what anime is? After what Pasha just said in that intro, oh, I'm Katie Rich, and after all of that, none is my answer. Uh, but your name seems like something that I would like, but is that anime? I don't honestly know the definition yeah, of anime yeah, now that I'm saying it out loud. Is. Oh, wow. You should is anime just animation that comes from Japan, or is it more specific than that? Uh, I think it's getting broader. That's a big question, but I think uh, colloquially, uh, for the safety of, of most conversation, yes. But I feel like when people call Miyazaki anime, they get mad. No, that Miyazaki is... gets mad. Well, oh, well. Miyazaki is... I, I don't want to risk I, his wrath, my God. I, you know, I, I think that it would be accurate enough to say that it's anime. Yes, no. I mean, I was trying correct. to think that like, I have in writing called it anime several times in the last week. You would be right. Um, it's good enough for me. Just because Miyazaki says it's right doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Uh, sorry, Miyazaki. Um, I'm Matt Patches. I'm going to say Ninja Scroll, and specifically at like 1 a.m. after you've drunk uh, too much Mountain Dew. Katie, I want you to watch Ninja mm-hmm. Scroll and watch I people get their like, arms Dew, chopped obviously. off and like lots of tentacles slurping around people. Slurping? Slithering? What? All of those things. Ninja Scroll. That's now me. you, David. Um, yeah, we don't have a Dave tonight. <laughs> if it's not clear from me doing the intro, the previous one minute of conversation and then that dead air. My answer for Katie is the same answer I gave, I, I suppose, to Jordan Hoffman, which uh, purely for my own sadistic pleasure would be making her watch at the end of Evangelion without having seen the 26 episode television show leading up to it. Not that that makes that, things all that clear, but uh, I, I think that that would be particularly we've fun. We've talked about trying to force Katie to watch 26 episodes of Evangelion. I mean, we have. That, that seems like a fool's errand. But I think the just watching it. It's particularly last perverse week. because there are, I mean, Hideaki Anno went on to make films that are effectively. Parallel, I mean, it's, it's, they're actually not technically parallel universe meaning Genesis Evangelion stories. They're technically the next cycle, the next iteration of what has happened in the timeline. But they do recount the Neon Genesis Evangelion storyline before branching off into new directions. This is a thing you see in anime from time to time. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood did it and so on. But, uh, so like, it would but you be, should also watch, Katie. It's on Netflix. But it would be very oh, strange oh, just to be oh, like, boy. watch End of Evangelion because there are four <laughs> movies that you could just sit down and watch and still get, you know, some version of the story. But still, I would love to see her do it. Anime, Katie. Time. Embrace. <laughs> this is otherwise a list of things we decided not to talk about on this week's podcast. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 403. It's pandemic 126. Things are going great. It's the week of Wednesday, August 16th. That's the day that in 1958, Madonna was born. Happy birthday, Madonna. Madonna. I call her Madge, I, thanks. She's more and more in like the tabloids again, I feel like. Not Is she? for good reasons. Yeah, she's really transformed herself. Well, her um, like, into, well, that's, that's, that's like what a she young does. person, but she's also for like, that's what she does. Uh, opposite reasons. She, I think she's directing her own biopic soon. So she's going uh-huh, in every creative with Julia direction, Garner. like a total spiraling out of control celebrity part of Madonna's life and a very prestigious, I'm going to reframe my own life in hagiography 
and mm-hmm. cinema way. So I'm excited for the future of Madonna, as I always have been. Uh, well, we're here, as we said, Dave is not with us, and we, you know, we're holding it together without Dave, sort of. Barely. <laughs> we're we're oh, making yeah. it no, work. No, 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 this episode is a real piece of owned-in junk. <laughs> we're all, well, I think we're all, I mean, I can't speak for Patches, but I know Katie and I are both sort of at our wit's end for different reasons, uh, and it is a miracle that we have a podcast this week at all. We enjoy uh, not making any money off of this podcast so that we have the right to do this once in a while sure and saying it. No, but you're going to take what we give you. <laughs> it's going to be enough. Is there a format? Maybe. <laughs> Is there a format? I feel like you had a sense. Who knew the format? One of you knew the format. There's going to be a format. It may not sure. be exactly our normal format, but we'll talk about some stuff. Uh, We're so, going to talk about stuff. It's groundbreaking podcasting we're doing tonight. Stuff. Talked about. I David, do we have reviews? Is that part well, of our structure? You know, as in, in keeping with the theme of this being a very janky episode that we are throwing together <laughs> at the last minute, um, I am on my laptop that only has access to the like Apple proprietary podcast app rather than going through the iTunes app where I usually read the, uh, the reviews. And we, I do see that we have a review from someone named Jeremiah Rosen, but only the first half sentence of their review is populating on my screen no matter what i do it says hey fighting in the war room i've been holding off writing a review because i've enjoyed the weekly russian roulette of wondering if i would be hearing and then dot 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 are they saying they've been enjoying the the russian roulette of wondering if they're gonna be hearing about star wars galaxy of heroes wondering if they're gonna be hearing dave katie all four of the hosts together wonder if they're gonna be hearing uh blisteringly intelligent commentary on recent trends and releases i, I could in read this full review I'm, Why don't you, you know do you that, can patches? press the more button on your app and, patches, and but what i'm trying to tell you unfold. is that i'm pressing the more button and nothing is coming up uh and this is <laughs> okay, true of Dad. all of the reviews that Let me help i see in front of me right now all right here's what here's what jeremiah rosa wrote i've been holding off writing a review because i've enjoyed the weekly russian roulette of wondering if i would be hearing about star wars galaxy and heroes but for katie and patches's sake i'll leave one I've been listening since 2013, and it's the podcast that I always turn to for great insight and discussion about new movie or TV show. Podcasts have come and gone from my rotation, but this is the only one that has stayed with me this whole time because the podcast feels like listening to your friends talk and talk and talk and not know what they're talking about. No, that's my editorial. Uh, If this podcast was only discussions and reviews, day anew. What sets it apart are the... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. This is the most anti-Semitic moment of this entire podcast. I had to have Patches lead. Guys. Anyway, what sets it apart for the Court of Bells and other special episodes where Katie Patches, David, David, share stories and things about themselves and let us see them more than just professional critics and writers. Goy. More episodes about Patches... Mail problems, please. It pains me that I missed both call-in shows, and I can only, uh, there might be another one in the, only hope there might be another one in the future. Hopefully not, because we've reached Pandemic 200. So thank you for 10 years of great podcasting. I plan to keep listening as long as you keep doing this, and eagerly await the reboot in 20 years, hosted by the Fitwork Kids. (laughs) You know, if we had only reached Pandemic Episode 100, die anew. (laughs) Die anew. But we, but we kept going to 200. Oy. Uh, uh, that's the anime pronunciation. Sure. Um, oh, no. 
Well, that was torturous for all involved. Uh, if you would like to <laughs> I try. cause deep Every personal suffering to me and Jews everywhere, please go on iTunes, uh, Fighting in the War Room. One of these days, uh, hopefully by next week's episode, I'll be back up and running and able to read the reviews uh, so Patches won't have to. You the cooling man, you send you up. Reason cooling, nine and nine twos up. All right. All right. For the first segment, very well planned and orchestrated, Patches wants to talk to us about She-Hulk. And I'm actually very interested in She-Hulk, despite being pretty behind in my Marvel TV shows, just because the buzz around it is so strange. Like... Some people really like it. Some people think the, the visual effects look like garbage. Some people think they look great. I don't know. I honestly don't know what to make of it. Uh, is it any good? Yeah. I mean, I, I have I've talked about on this podcast <laughs> because we've had a Marvel television show like every month, I feel like, for the last 12 or something. It's constantly uh, there's something new being thrown at us by Disney+. Plus. I've been pretty down about most of them, they fizzle out. They suffer from the kind of Ryan Murphy problem of the first episode's really great, and then they don't really know where to go with it, or they get there too quickly, or it's not really about characters. It's just about plot. Uh, I mean, even the Star Wars stuff has kind of suffered from the same thing. And I think the relief of She-Hulk is it's actual television. It's a television show. It's like a lawyer show, but in the Marvel Universe. Uh, not quite the good fight or the good wife, but probably taking a lot of inspiration from that and uh, the array of other uh, lawyer shows from the decades of, of television. It's probably the go-to format for dramatic television at this point. The easiest thing to click things into, and they really click the Marvel Universe into lawyer show. Uh, so it <laughs> stars Tatiana Maslany of Orphan Black, a show I did not watch, so I don't really have a lot of strong feelings about Tatiana Maslany, as many others. I saw her in to. the Boston Marathon bombing movie that was pretty good. She was fine in it. That's all I got. I. Oh, wait. Is, is that Stronger, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, she's Stronger? the girl who is runs right? the marathon. Uh, that movie's pretty good, and she is good. She's good in it. Uh, in it. What, what? You laughing, David? No, you don't I, like, was, uh, I was about to make a very off color joke deeply and felt. decided against it. Everyone can imagine what David was about to say sure here. Can. He's not going to go on the record. Um, so yes, Tatiana Maslany uh, leads this corner of the Marvel Universe. She plays Jennifer Walters, who is uh, Bruce Banner's cousin. They do a lot of hand-waving. It doesn't really matter. Did he always have a cousin? Who cares? She was just being a lawyer when all this other Does stuff it really matter? It is doesn't it, really it, matter. Are there people out there who care? People probably... I mean, there are... Definitely people who care, Katie. There are people well, who care sorry, about everything. Well, no, sorry. Not to say that you not to say that people shouldn't care about comics, but like the idea of like a comic introducing me like, and here's this person's like and cousin who hasn't cousin. been around yet. Like that's, that's not true. unheard of, right? Why would she be around? She doesn't have yeah. superpowers uh, until she does. So she's mm. in the beginning of the show. She's kind of cruising around with Bruce Banner and uh, they're chit-chatting. Wait, about when is how- this happening in the Marvel timeline? This is happening after the events of Endgame, most certainly, because he's kind of, Bruce Banner is recounting the things that have happened. He talks about he, how he went to space, which is Thor Ragnarok, and there's oh, all and sorts he's of like, nonsense. Oh, and he's like, um, like half-human Hulk at this point, right? Yes, he is quote-unquote smart Hulk. Smart um, Hulk. So he has learned to control his hulkiness um, and lives, spends most of his time as Hulk, but 
we see him. He has like a uh, repressor, uh, almost oh, almost like an insulin thing plugged into the side of him, except it's keeping back his Hulk. This uh, so he I can drive around as Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sure do. Um, uh, so Mark Ruffalo does appear in this first episode as his human self, driving around with Tatiana. Tatiana Maslany's Jennifer Walters. Remember when um, movie stars course, were a thing yeah. and it would be like at all interesting or remarkable if one of them showed up in a television show for a minute? I mean, I I mean only, va- when they only make vaguely. <laughs> it's, it's great when Mark Ruffalo gets to be in like a real movie. No, um, but I mean, even, even if you, even like when WandaVision premiered at Mark Ruffalo, I mean, I, I take it that Wanda, uh, She-Hulk has not actually started streaming yet. At the time we're recording this, or maybe it has. It will I don't be know. out. I um, it comes out on the 18th. So that's so the, maybe there, there will be time for this discourse. But I, I just feel like even back in the days of Wandavision, when we were also young and innocent, had Mark Ruffalo wandered in, wandered wandered into a scene. Lendas <laughs> came to Linda. Uh, sorry, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, they're laughing. But uh, um, if uh, he had wandered through a scene. It would have, there would have been a little zhuzh. It would have been a little magic. It would have been like, hey, look, they're crossing the streams. And now it's just like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, there's so much Marvel that is Marvel special anymore. No. Nope, but I think that's why question. this is more fun because he feels like an actual character in an actual show. It doesn't feel like cameo and it's not. Uh, it's not I mean, just it, like, hey, here's this famous guy. Correct. It's not just indulging in the, in the crossover aspect. It's like, hey, this is a normal guy and he has a family. So he's, they're hanging out. Of course, they also get attacked by a spaceship. Um, right he has the- a family now? Hulk has a family? Oh, no, she's his family. She's I the see. family. Uh, Got it. Cousins. Sorry, I thought you meant that he'd, like, you know, gone, like, a, what, Hawkeye and, like, had a wife oh, and no. kids or something. No, he's, he's actually living alone, mostly on an island. What does a Hulk, uh, a Hulk uh, pregnancy delivery look like? Look, I'm sure there's fan drawn, art of that. Please Google yeah. that. You, you don't want to see that. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, they get attacked by a spaceship. And then they uh, get in a car crash, and they swap blood accidentally, and that is how she becomes She-Hulk. Hulk on Monday. And because they have mm. similar DNA, she is able to hold the Hulk genes or whatnot, nonsense, pseudoscience, and um, she can Hulk out, but she has better control of it than uh, Bruce Banner does, so she can become Hulk whenever she wants, and can become regular Jennifer Walters whenever she wants. And this leads to just some really funny scenarios because she is a rising lawyer trying to get her career going. And now she needs to deal with hulking out and rage issues. A lot of the first episode is her and Mark Ruffalo, like zenning out on the beach, training her. Um, And it's it's a very episodic show. So like that's a one off thing. And then she goes back and now she's going to be a lawyer. And can she be a lawyer, but be famous she Hulk at the same time? This is the big question of the show. And what really allows them to have some larger arcs, uh, but mostly just have fun with the premise of her being a superhero lawyer. She, basically, she can't be She-Hulk uh, and a, a normal person, so she gets hired to be a superhero or a supervillain lawyer. Um, so that is how she gets wrapped up. I think if you've seen trailers for the show, um, Tim Roth is back as Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. Abomination, from your favorite Marvel movie, Katie, the Incredible Hulk. I was just Hulk. trying to place which one he's in. That's the the one, the one that Mark Ruffalo's not in. This is the whole yeah, thing about Hulk, right? Is they're just right. keeping all that pretending. I'm sure it's Tim so Roth weird. was a, a great time on the set of this. I'm sure he was so thrilled to be. I gotta back say, Tim Roth has universe. a hell of a lot of fun doing what he's doing here, which is being all locked up and having like a zany story about all the people obsessed with him in jail and trying to get parole and the whole mini arc about her defending him 
is really funny. And uh, there's a bit of like this, this is pulled straight from the comic. Jennifer Walters like talks the camera breaks the fourth wall. So there's a bit of a wink wink aspect to this that's kind of making fun of the Marvel Universe a bit more. The show was created by this woman, Jessica Gao, who is a alum of Rick and Morty, which weirdly more and more of the Marvel Universe is being orchestrated by Rick and Morty people like Michael Waldron did Loki and then wrote Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. Um, I wish Dave was here. Have, I feel, it feels so Dan sad Harmon. we're talking about Rick and Morty without Dave. <laughs> we're talking about Rick and Morty and Marvel. Dave's not here. Sorry again. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just the Marvel Universe, at least in the TV stuff, might be taking on more of a, of a Rick and Morty sardonic tone. And this one is full force that. Like Miss Marvel, no, I, I wouldn't compare it to that. But this is much more tongue-in-cheek and much more surface level. I've seen some complaints that like, Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk. People are like labeling her She-Hulk. She doesn't want to be called She-Hulk. She wants to be, you know, her own woman. She wants to be a lawyer. She's a career-driven person. Everyone's telling her to go out and date. Um, and I've seen criticisms suggest that like the feminism is very thin and kind of old-fashioned. Um, and maybe we could go a bit deeper here. I, 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 I don't know. I can't really speak to that. I just know that Tatiana <laughs> Maslany is like having a very good time playing this character, and it's very funny. To watch, I think it's a pretty successful, like low stakes so far, Marvel show where I yeah, they're like also doing some of the most spectacular. You are visual aware that you're going because, to like, die really one day, good. right? Like your time on this earth is finite, and yeah. then so you'll I should slink watch back into like the void from whence there is no return. Well, I also watched Better Call Saul, the finale this well, week, and you haven't watched a lick of that, and it's been one of the most celebrated seen, television we were, shows we gonna, of the last ten years. We and you refuse to watch to, it because we were going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that more productively in a more civil tone, Mr. Patches. <laughs> um, but the premise of that conversation was going to be that so many people I trust say that She-Hulk sounds... Uh, sounds She-Hulk, fuck. Uh, so many people I trust. <laughs> I object. She-Hulk. Uh, does she say, like, does she, does She-Hulk go, like, objection? <laughs> <laughs> she does not sound like Hulk when she is in She-Hulk mode. Anyway, so many people I trust have said that Better Call Saul is, you know, just about the best TV going uh, aside from Below Deck and possibly Industry, which I'm obsessed with. Um, but uh, I was, I watched all of Breaking Bad and thought it was entertaining enough, but was never particularly enamored by it. I tried watching Breaking Saul on Netflix earlier this year. Better Call Breaking Saul. Breaking Saul. Whatever. Wow. And uh, I found this first season very tough going um no ill will towards it i just it, it seemed too dependent on the presumption that i already cared about this world and the people in it because of breaking bad which i most certainly did not and i found it just i, I wasn't really engaged in jimmy mcgill and all that shit and my patches tell me if i'm wrong it's one of those shows where uh, it seems to get a lot richer and and more involving as it gets a little bit later on and you would maybe encourage me to push myself over the same hill that it sounds like you may have encountered when watching the first season. Yeah, uh, I dipped into this a, a few weeks ago, but I, I would draw you back in because I completed my binge watch of, of Better Call Saul after having a similar uh, journey as you, where I watched the first season, and I I don't know, it was almost so low stakes that I, I couldn't get into it, or uh, I, I didn't really enjoy watching Saul bumble around with, and feel really awkward with the, the set of characters that have been introduced or, or fabricated around of him. Um, but then I, I bounced into season two years and years after because of the acclaim. And 
it was totally worth watching. Like, I think they figured out what to do with this show. I remember when Breaking Bad was wrapping up and they announced they were going to do Better Call Saul, that they were talking, oh, well, this is kind of going to be our sitcom take on Breaking Bad. Like, Saul will mm. ha- we'll do a lawyer show, but it's going to be Silly Saul Adventures. Um, and the show is not about Saul Goodman. It is very much about Jimmy McGill, the real character who p- becomes Saul Goodman and why this character becomes Saul Goodman. And uh, it's such a good antidote to Breaking Bad, which I have been eager to revisit, and I'm not sure like, when I'll be able to stomach it, because I will just say, and this is not a spoiler, because I feel like this has been out here for a while, which is that like Walter White makes an appearance in this final season of, of Better Call Saul. I will not talk about how and why if people are catching up, but like seeing that character and how vile he turned out to be or become evolved into over the course of Breaking Bad just sickened me. And like, that's, it took me a long time to get into Breaking Bad as well. I put that show down and came back to it uh, when my wife was, was interested. And um, it was just so gross. (laughs) And I think I was, I'm more wrapped up in Better Call Saul and and I found it to be more rewarding than Breaking Bad because it's not just a a descent into hell. It is someone who is more complicated. Is Is a broken character who I think in the first season is kind of wily and the stakes are low, but as this character becomes more involved with uh, being a lawyer and having real goals and like wanting to triumph over his failures. Jimmy McGill's problem as played by Bob Odenkirk is he's always been a slimy con man. Like when he was a kid and we learn kind of why this happens, but not in like solo esque, like, Oh, this is how you got your name. Like, this is how you became a Mm. con man. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't stumble over it itself in that kind of prequel way. It is maybe one of the great prequels of all time. Um, but we learn like why he became a con man, why he thinks he'll always be a con man, why he falls back on these kind of pulling cons and, and tricking people and using deceitful ways to accomplish a lot of the times like goodness. I think that's what makes him so complicated. It's like he wants to do good things. He is a good person. And then other people suck him in to the bad world <laughs> that they believe he can't escape. It's like he has a brother, Michael McKeon, um, and, and this guy is a, an acclaimed, uh, uh, one of the great lawyers in Albuquerque, and all this guy will do to support his brother Jimmy is tell him he's bad and he should quit, and he'll never escape the failure that he's created for himself. And, like, it drives a person mad. It drives him to become Saul Goodman. It's a really excellent, complicated character portrait. And then you have this new character, Kim Wexler, played by Rhea Seahorn, who is, is an amazing foil, like, who is a really good person, but who becomes totally enamored by how Jimmy can do bad things and how can you that just can tell help. me that it um, becomes somehow more engaging in the second season than it is in the first. Yeah, because the, they, they become, they have better jobs. They become involved <laughs> with bigger, higher stakes, like, uh, crimes cases and yeah, and crimes. And then they start getting wrapped up in the cartel business that we know exists in New Mexico already that Walter White in Breaking Bad kind of destroys and um, and corrupts even further um, or disrupts, I should right. say. So in conclusion, but, um, yeah. it's it's no industry, but it's pretty good TV, and I will hopefully there's no time for, for it in, in the near future. And actually, there's time for Better Call Saul and She-Hulk, and I would say they're two different things, and I have enjoyed them both. And the fact that I can endorse She-Hulk. After oh. railing against previous pretty hot take shows, that, I hope uh, says something. Pretty hot take that Better Call Saul and She-Hulk are, and I quote, two different things. But, mm. uh, 
know. Here we go. Um, uh, Buckle up. We'll, we'll dive into that in the comments or in the reviews in a future episode. Smash that now. subscribe button. Oh, boy. <laughs> I have this might have been something that Joanna Robinson said that like because I hadn't watched Better Call Saul either, but I've been kind of watching the coverage of the final season and that like Walter White's appearance on Better Call Saul might be kind of a corrective to the bad fans of Breaking Bad who are just like Walter's bitch wife is getting in his way and he's a badass kingpin and he is presented as such a monster that it's Vince Gilligan being like, all right, hang on, let's get a chance to redo this and like make it clear who this guy is. Does it feel that way to you, Patches? That's interesting. Um, I, I I do think everyone is is more shaded in Better Call Saul. For instance, like to I hated all that feedback for the Skyler character, who was obviously caught in this just terrible situation, and obviously was doing bad quote unquote bad things like against Walter White. It's just, it's such a ridiculous criticism against the show that she was like evil or manipulative or, or foul. Um, I just I hated all that criticism. But here you have. The Kim character, who is both like an inspiration to Jimmy, like get out of stop doing crimes or stop deceiving people and get on the right track. She wants to encourage him. She's the one person in his life who wants him to do something good. And then and then Kim also succumbs to it. She wants to do bad things. She breaks bad a little bit and she can't help it because it's it's fun and it gets her out of this path that she's kind of stuck on. So everyone is doing both bad and good in this show, which makes it much more fun and really really makes it tense you don't know who's going to fuck up and how and who's going to get hurt in the end i think there was a lot of questions going into these last seasons about like who needs to redeem themselves and how and have they crossed a line where they won't be able to um and that's such a wonderful feeling like even in the second to last episode and i won't spoil anything but i just didn't know how i i didn't know how this was going to end uh and i didn't know if it was could it could have a happy ending it could have a, a tragic ending um, Breaking Bad seemed very obvious. It seemed like Walter White had to go, and Better Call Saul had so many possibilities until the very end. So I hope, David, that you can um, make the leap someday. I, you know, I can't t- decide for you if it's worth <laughs> your finite time on this planet. All I can say is you may not have much time, David. Oh, Jesus. Uh, well, on that Ooh. ominous note, uh, hey. um, no, you got a long life ahead. Okay, watch oh, She Hulk. No. <laughs> um, do it. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Uh yeah, I know we don't do transitions. Moving so. on. Damn, I shouldn't start that talk. But life is one big question when you're staring at the clock. And the answer's always waiting at the liquor store. Forty ounces to freedom. So I take that walk. And I know that. David, you have limited time on this earth, but you use a good bit of it to help uh, put together a list for IndieWire that is like, I mean, I'm sure you did it for many reasons, but also it's August and there's no movies coming out. So you guys did something insane instead, right? I mean, that is uh, definitely why we did it. Um, uh, Yeah, uh, we, we put together a big 90s week feature and not just the list the list is sort of the marquee element of it um the tentpole part of it if you will uh we are doing a week-long celebration of all things 90s movies uh starting with that top 100 list we have several essays and interviews there's an essay today about hercules by carlos aguilar there is i wrote an essay about going to the movies in the summers 
of when I was growing up in Connecticut in the nineties. Um, or did you write about leaving camp to see Saving Private Ryan? I did. I did. Of course, never missed oh, an opportunity good. to do that. Um, uh, we have Greg Araki being interviewed by Andrew on tomorrow at the time we're recording this. We have interviews with Bill Duke, Spike Lee, Heather Matarazzo was interviewed by a friend of uh, friend of the show, I suppose, and that she's a friend of all of ours, Esther Zuckerman. Um, so a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, we did have our top 100 list uh, by design, you know, as all these lists are. Uh, meant to provoke, uh, excite, titillate, disgust, and judging by my mentions, it did all of those things. Um, and if not, what are people the angriest about? Metric. I was about to say, you guys did a solid job of kind of hitting every note in this list. It's a very good list, so I don't know what people would be really mad about. Well, I mean, it's not. It's it's truly not possible to pull a hundred movies from an entire decade and not anger literally everyone to some extent. Um, but they're just like, even if you try to be diplomatic and cover the bases and make sure that you're appealing to every sort of kind of moviegoer, um, and I'm not just talking about where they're from and what they look like, but just the, the tenor of movies and what people are interested in, um, highbrow, lowbrow, mainstream, independent, you're just, you can't really cover all the bases, um, without leaving off some, some personal favorites. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we were trying to like like name some names, name names. What are people mad at you about? Yeah, I, I noticed there wasn't a Dinesh D'Souza film on. The list. It was not, I don't think Dinesh D'Souza was really cranking up. The <laughs> I, I, I gotta check that. Um, back check, back check. I mean, some of the some of the things that I've seen on more, mentioned to me more than once are the absence of films like L.A. Confidential, the fact that Boogie Nights is only number ninety four on the list out of a hundred. Um, there are uh, a lot of omissions. I mean, it just depends what kind of movie you are. Are you mad at me because there are no, uh, none of Godard's films from the 90s are on the cut? Are you mad at me because, um, I mean, the, the Shawshank Redemption isn't on there on the other side of the spectrum? Um, I mean, there are any reason. Are you mad at me because you didn't read the intro and don't understand how collectively made lists work on a website oh, like they this? Think it was, they think uh, it was just they you. Think it was me. I mean, <laughs> there are any number of reasons to be mad, but I do think that I was very satisfied personally as someone who certainly had a hand in choosing what the movies were going to be on this list and the order in which they would appear. I was very pleased that the breadth of the bribe, by the breadth of movies that we covered, um, by the number of them that are indisputable i think and and by the interesting out of the box under the radar choices that are on there that are also i think very credible um they were written about credibly and and certainly uh belong on a list like this even if you may not have seen or heard of them um i thought we tried we tried to cover as broadly international a swath as we could um even though it is difficult i mean i think I saw a lot of votes were split. Um, I wish that we had a more representation from African and South American cinema. Um, but, and, and I think there's a larger contingent from Asia. I mean, Asian cinema was, continues to be um, as a bit of more of a foothold on the world stage uh, in, the, in the industry and economy of film. Um, I was pleased that there were, you know, you're not going to have parody in a list of the 90s because the industry was not really giving you that chance. But I was, Glad that we had a uh, strong representation from a lot of women filmmakers who were not there um, for reasons of tokenization, but rather because there were a lot of really tremendous movies made by women in the 90s, some of which just didn't get the attention that they deserved at the time. 
Um, but I think yeah, that people I, so, have found... to to in, to interrupt yeah, for one of these smaller do. movies that I actually have seen. Um, I saw the Watermelon Woman for the first yeah. time. Not I don't remember why. Like it it was in the news at some point in the last year or two, and I don't remember why. But I saw it for the first time, and it's get great. Added to Criterion. Maybe or like the it was on the Criterion um, Channel. For Criterion Channel, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. yeah. Maybe that was how it happened. Um, but yeah, like small indie, like very indicative of like the indie movement movement in the '90s. Like not as gigantic, as polished as Schindler's List. But um, I was so glad I saw it, and I was really glad it was on that list. Uh, yeah, I mean, not as gigantic uh, or polished as Schindler's <laughs> List is a um, and I'm quite using a, your, quite a bar em- to clear. your emphasis there is a high bar to clear. Um, but and I don't think a lot of movies are necessarily even going for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, there, we were talking about Porco Rosso earlier. I was kind of surprised that there are, I think, far more. There are zero like classic Disney animated, Walt Disney animated studio uh, films. What? Studio animation films on the list, but there are. Like, oh, on the list. Okay. On the list. But there are several anime films on the list. Um, yeah. yeah, no Lion I, King, I would, no Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I would say you you would need the Lion King on there for a little bit yeah, better balance of, of, uh, of you know yeah, I, I would say you should have picked one. We had the Iron Giant, uh, you know, you do have the carrying Iron the Giant. torch for American animation is good enough for it's me. It's a troll move, but uh, it's an understandable troll move. No, oh, the, yeah, only, Dave, yeah, you, the only legitimate oh, yeah. troll move, I will say, <laughs> because I mean, a lot of a lot of the rankings were somewhat out of my hands. But when you're getting down to, you know, 37 versus 38, there's a little bit more to, room to maneuver. Um, I took a little bit of pleasure because why make a list like this if you're not going to do that? You know, I'm not sight and sound. Um, this is just a couple of people uh, inputting Shakespeare in love exactly one spot ahead of Saving Private Ryan. Um, Hello. Just, just to stir the pot. <laughs> two movies that I love. Um, although I have to say, I, I was very happy I to see Shakespeare in Love. To Shakespeare in Love a lot like, more. I, you know, the corniness of the 90s, I think, like, you know, all of us having grown up in the 90s, there's a lot of stuff we look back on and we're just like, all right, like, we don't need the Shawshank Redemption. We don't need Forrest Gump. I would have been stunned if you'd put Forrest Gump on the list, this list. As would um, I. But I think Shakespeare in Love gets gets tarred with that brush unfairly. I, and so I'm glad that you I put it on there. I don't know if the words Forrest Gump appeared on a single one of the individual ballots that I, mean, I solicited I, to make No one could list. bring themselves to do that. I have uh, a hard time imagining someone writing hard for Forrest Gump in this day and age. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. an important film of the 90s. Definitely. We, we gotta, I mean, it, hey, maybe we have a Forrest Gump inarguable. segment coming up. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, that might be worth rewatching. Well, so, mm. David, I am, uh, I've been reading Chuck Klosterman's book, The 90s, which I am very much enjoying as a kind of like, let me just come up with a grand theory of 90s oh, culture. Oh, he would. Does he have a big chapter about uh, Eyes Wide Shut, the number one film on our list? Uh, he certainly does not. Um, no, but but to to that point, I mean, a lot of Klosterman's theories so far in the book are about like what Gen X life is and like what selling out is and why never mind the Nirvana album is the most important one of the most important pieces of of culture from the 90s that defines it but I'm, I'm wondering if as you guys compiled 90 this 90s list if you came to any conclusions about 90s cinema if like anything became clear about what was being put out and and perhaps why or like what the tone is if there's anything unifying especially because the the list is so it, it's reaching to east and west and but if there was anything unifying in the films that you selected uh yeah the movies are pretty you have good a grand theory movies uh <laughs> yeah, the movies the movies are good movies the good the good movies were good mm-hmm. the bad movies were less so mm, they were bad um, that's true no i mean i i wrote about this a little bit in my personal my very personal essay about uh my summer movie seasons as a youth uh that it really felt to me in a way that maybe all 
people feel respective to their own generations. But it felt to me like Hollywood, if I can just focus on Hollywood for a second, was kind of coming of age in tandem with us millennials, uh, elder millennials, um, that the movies were at this strange sort of end of the century point uh, as they technology pushed the blockbusters in a new direction, sort of unified the idea of what a blockbuster should be, what a big summer movie should be. Um, and there was this dangling precipice at the end of the century looming over everything and, and forcing people to considering future often in an ominous or fantastical way, which is obviously not unique to the 90s, but there was an added sort of edge to it um, because of the closeness of the 21st century. That, yeah, it really felt like, and, I, and I, my, my, the closest thing I came to a theory was just that that was responsible for the teen movie boom in a way, this feeling that the movies were kind of in this adolescent phase themselves um, and not maturing necessarily as much as you might like, but um, that they were, they were trying to maintain this part of this past, this, this nostalgic sense of what they were clinging on to some part of who they were while also being forced to evolve um, and keep up with the times and incorporate these newer elements um, where every summer movie had to be a, a blockbuster had to be a The Rock, had to be a, a Fifth Element, had to be something of that nature. Um, and I think that it did sort of resonate with the insecurity, the uncertainty, the, the sort of just turbulence of growing up that I felt at that time. Um, but I'm sure people who grew up in the 80s and the 70s probably feel the same way about the movies they saw. But I think I can make a case for why there was a distinct flavor to that among 90s movies but beyond that in terms of looking at the decade as a whole i mean there are so many competing national cinemas there are so many different forces at work um it was definitely a time where things seemed i mean the, the industry was less inclusive um which is not a point that should be overlooked but at the same time even the blandest whitest uh male driven movies felt kind of more possible there was like a greater creative potential within very narrow parameters um before everything was sort of homogenized in quite the same way that it is today and i think you see that in the kinds of movies that were getting made and had support behind them and were um being released and had a chance of making an impression in the culture uh yeah i don't know there's i mean there's certainly a lot going on in the decade in, in summation a lot was happening in the 1990s do you <laughs> think uh i mean eyes wide shut is your number one on the list. I don't yeah. think it's like the most 90s, 90s movie, but do you think that there's a most 90s, 90s movie oh, on the list? I love the, the scene where the, or... the orgy master is like, radical, man. <laughs> and then so it says, new radicals, actually. New, yeah. uh, he goes, uh, whoa, and there's like, Reality Bites did not make of, the yeah. list. Reality right. Bites did not make the list. Uh, Nor did Empire very, Records. It's not a very good movie. Reality Bites and Empire Records um, are both, you know, extremely 90s. Uh, I would have vouched, I think, more readily for, like, Can't Hardly Wait, which is also... I Can't Hardly Wait was 90s. on my list of titles that I would have snuck yeah. on I mean, there, cer Certainly, if you're oh, talking yes. just about, like, you know, the, the people I had a crush on determining the decade, Can't Hardly Wait would have been way at the top of the list. Um, and, uh, I mean... Romeo and Juliet might be a contender Ro for the most 90s. Romeo and Juliet is an extremely 90s movie, uh, for sure. Like, the top 10 is really, like, I mean, Titanic, I think you can make an argument for it, but, like, as a period piece, it's hard. Like, it's not no. very many distinctively uh, 90s movies in the top 10. Eyes Wide Shut is not a 90s movie so much as a Finn the Seaclair movie, you know, like, a turn of the century, like, this is a, the, the anxious existential concerns of 
one page folding into another and the precipice of the 21st century stretching up below you and the shaky foundations and everything you thought was a dream is a reality and everything you thought was a reality is a dream and and things along those lines um but and then something looking at like the top 10 of our list and then like goodfellow is obviously too early to really set the tone for the decade i do think you know you tend to have success looking at the the center of a decade for its defining films in that respect the most i don't know but i i you know this is one thing that clueless up you know romeo and juliet heat one one thing that Klosterman brings up in in the '90s, and I think this is is apt, which is you know the decades culturally do not end just when the years turn. So 1990 is not the beginning of the '90s culturally. Oh. It's like 1992. Yeah, um, I think and a very... really the end of the '90s might be like 2001. Like Ghost World might be one of the well, most '90s. I think the movies most ever. The most out trite, of bounds, right? Yeah, I mean the most trite argument, if you know, not not for no good reason. Maybe the '90s really ended on 9/11, and I think that that sure. no, exactly, yeah, and like that is, I'm sure, an argument that Chuck Klosterman is all too happy yep. to at least you know make in his <laughs> own way. Um, but and yeah, I think you probably see that. That's more an issue of looking on the the calendar at the kind of movies that were coming out in 2000. I mean, there's really there's a strong pre 20 to a pre 9/11 feel to movies on the whole. Just the, the things that they were preoccupied with were very different. I think American Beauty, which is not a film on our list, um, I don't think it's aged particularly well uh, for several it, reasons. It, it is. It is, feels like a, you feel crazy watching it. It, it is under more Kevin accomplished than. Uh, American but American Beauty, Beauty is sort of like the yeah. prototypical pre nine eleven movie. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, and so like that. That is certainly so, occurred. Uh, maybe the yeah. better question is, after going through tons of 90s movies, what's the last movie of the 80s? I was about to culturally? say, I think the answer is probably Do the Right Thing, um, which is... A, well, that was actually 89, yeah, it was. though. It really yeah. is less um, than Wow. But I think uh, that is really Good what fellas. sort of like launched American cinema into the 90s. I think it's not accidental. So a post that we're doing on Friday, we reached out to a very eclectic mix of... Uh, known filmmakers and actors um, from both the 90s and today and people who've worked in both times uh, to give us their personal top 10 list for the best films of the 90s. And some of them, uh, you know, some of them by certain 90s icons, in fact, included Do the Right Thing, which put us in the awkward position of having to go back mm. to them <laughs> and say, thank you for taking the time to do this, but you are disqualified <laughs> and uh, you, need to, uh, you need to give us a replacement. Um, but I think it does speak to just like how present uh, and large of a shadow do the right thing cast over the 90s. Uh, maybe maybe uh, we can wrap this segment up. As Katie alluded, I asked people to come up with uh, the movies that were missing from David and the IndieWire crew's very, very, very strong list of the 100 best movies of the 90s. Katie, did you, you mentioned Can Hardly Wait as something standing yep. out put uh, that down i would also argue maybe terminator 2 is the last movie of the 80s just throwing that out there ooh. um even okay interesting even though it came so out big, in 1992 I, I mean i don't yeah. okay i don't know if i would have put awesome powers on this list but noteworthy 90s movie that's not on there uh i would have made room for cape fear i know you can't pick every scorsese and you have i think age of innocence and uh goodfellas, goodfellas. yeah um happy together one car Y. Uh, you are you have on King Express, probably the right choice. Um, also, there's like, I don't think there's any Julia Roberts on here, so you should put my best ones writing on. J- David, wow. I, if, I believed if better there, of you. If there had been a Julia Roberts movie, and if it were solely up to me to pick which one, it would have been Notting Hill. 
Oh, um, that's fair. I mean, Pretty Woman, I think I'm, I'm fine with. What year is Notting Hill? Is that actually a 2001? 99. Yeah. Uh, my best friend wedding rules. Patches, what about you? Um, here's my list, and uh, I hope I didn't uh, pick one that's actually on the list and make a true gaffe. But um, I thought my immediate, my immediate take was that Funny Games, the Michael Haneke film, should have been on this list. No Michael Haneke. Come on. Uh, it's, it's like the ultimate media criticism. Inspired yeah, so many people. I mean, Michael Haneke yeah, certainly could have had a place there. I, I, I personally am more passionate about some of the movies he made in the, in the uh, latter stages of his career. But certainly, Cachet is a favorite. Cachet oh. talked about it on this podcast. But uh, Funny Games is a banger. Um, I thought Dumb and Dumber should have been on this <laughs> list. I feel like we're missing. Is there? Is, oh no, there. Uh, Truman shows on there, so there's some. Yeah, but I was yeah, like two patches point. I was concerned that. A list like this, you know, the same mentality that, that we are not sight and sound. I will reiterate that. Um, and, you know, the list should be interpreted accordingly. But I, I was afraid that people making a list like this would be inclined to thinking in those canonical terms um, rather than mm. the point of an exercise like this, as far as I'm concerned, which is trying to uh, massage the canon, evolve the canon, change what's on it. And but even so, would sort of veer away from silliness. Are you saying Dumb and Dumber is canonical? No, I'm, just, I'm or saying I was afraid not. that people would would be disinclined from silliness from the movies that like really mm. bought them okay, pleasure and joy. I know that is a tendency that I might have when making a list like this. Um, and you know, there ultimately wasn't a place for Dumb and Dumber on the list or Austin Powers. But I do think that you see that same. Maybe not the same, but like a kind of light and silliness present in movies like Ravenous, which is an underappreciated gem that I love. Um, Clueless. Clueless. Uh, Clueless, very high ranked. Um, I mean, it's, it's. I'm just looking over it. Yeah, I mean, there's. I mean, Rumble in the Bronx is a very silly movie, and it's hard to even say that it's the best Jackie Chan movie of the '90s. It's really neck and neck with with uh, Legend of Drunken Master, but I think on the whole, even if the fight scenes in Legend of Drunken Master are hard to top it. Rumble in the Bronx kind of holds together uh, a little bit more. But, you know, a lot of these movies had a sense of fun while also, you know, tapping into bigger and more significant things. Things like Starship yeah, Troopers and, and uh, right. Sylvia Prieto, which is a sort of underseen movie from Argentina. Movies um, that give you something, but also give you some, a little something else yeah. to think about. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no, there's something about Mary or like American Pie or any of those really dumb fun movies of also the not era. like i put face off on my so list of emissions like, had, not that much action <laughs> face off it was absolutely in contention for a spot on the list um and you know someone pointed out uh somewhere i can't remember where uh we in the in the intro which i did not write myself we give shout outs to uh john woo and um another filmmaker whose name is skip me right now um James Cameron. No, no, no. It's like two people who uh, do not have movies on the list, despite the fact that we uh, singled them uh, out in the intro. Um, and the are minds, but what can you do? Yeah, De Palma. De Palma, De Palma I think, was the other one. Possibly. Because uh, Mission Impossible is on my list of mm. missed opportunities. Yeah. That is a, I mean, that started a thing, but it's also good in its own right. De Palma. Bruise. Exploding. Things. Is Catherine Bigelow on the list? Point Break is, is Point 90s. Break 90s. It is not on the list. Point Break is 90s. But, yeah. But Maybe that's the last Catherine, movie of the 90s. Bigelow is on the list. That's a good point. For Strange Days. For Strange Days. I see it now. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a good list, David. You should be proud. Uh, sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> proud of. I know. I do. What? I do. Be proud. You know, inevitably, take the pride. Will reflect my, not my like the most esoteric and idiosyncratic aspects of my personal taste, but in a broader sense, will reflect it. I mean, when you have Eyes Wide Shut, you know, Close Up, Afterlife, Titanic, all in the top ten. There's definitely. My footprint there, I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm happy, certainly, about the writers that I was able to get to contribute to it and say things about these films. Proud of them. Um, yeah, I do, think it's a, I do think it's a good list. I think that people who were upset about it are never going to find a list that they did not solely write you know, off of themselves and will be mad at. I think uh, the purpose of these lists, you know, beyond your own personal canon, is to help redefine what great this is, and, and more specifically bring people to movies that they may have a, either not known existed or not had the inclination to seek out and watch. And so, you know, if, uh, if just one person finds a movie on this list that they are inspired to watch and enjoy, <laughs> and it leads them to think, you know, more about it, and uh, that's good enough for me. But what's the one movie, if this had just been your list, what's the one movie missing I mean, that you would add? I, 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 there, are, there are the boring, I mean, the, 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 Hill. the boring oh, stuffy sure. answer is that there are a lot of um, like Taiwanese films that I really wanted to highlight, like Goodbye South, Goodbye South, Goodbye, like Viva, uh, um, the Sai Ming Liang film that's escaping me right now, um, or that I just don't want to say in French. Um, there were, there's like Mother and Son, a Russian film by Alexander Sokarov that I've always found very moving. There are like 73 different Iranian films, like A Moment of Innocence. We got one Makhmobov on there, but a uh, Samira Makhmobov film, the Mosen Makhmobov film. Um, there, there is a lot, uh, but the movie that I felt I was betraying myself most by not getting on there was probably Jerry Maguire. <laughs> um... Uh, oh shit! So, God, yeah. Uh, oh, I will man. say, I will say. Yeah, that, Jerry Maguire um, should have been on in there. the list that we're publishing tomorrow, which is purely just going to cause trouble because it's the top twenty-five. Um, and I mean, I can't even look at our own list without rolling my eyes, being like, "You forgot this." Of I mean, of top best twenty-five. What? It's like I I look at it. And I'm just like, this is all wrong. Oh. We forgot so many. Like, how can these be definitive? Um, it's truly a fool's errand to do, uh, but it was an excuse for me to write at length about Tom Cruise's performance in Jerry Maguire and Jerry Maguire at large. I was also pleased to be able to single out Billy Zane from Titanic. Um, he is, is he indeed. in your list of the top 25 performances? Uh, oh my God. I was going to sarcastically say, I mean, and he put the, he put the diamond her. in the I coat, mean, David. I mean, that is, uh, he did. That, I think. You know, it, it is a performance that so perfectly understands the tone of the film around it. And I think to a degree mm -hmm. that people may not realize, uh, the Titanic really hinges on that character and what he represents and how he makes you feel. Um, and he's sort of the fulcrum of so much of the action that's happening. And Billy Zane is able to pull that off, I think, more beautifully than I can imagine any other actor alive doing it. And he deserves credit for that. I like the talent so of the so is a great you, movie. I mean, uh, there are so there are just. I mean, the nineties. Oh yeah, that's a nineties. Fuck man, there were a lot of great movies in the nineties. We had we had like one David Lynch movie on there, uh, as opposed to three. 
We have Firewalk with me. Oh, no, we had two David Lynch movies on there. Right, thank you. Um, we didn't have Quiz Show. We didn't have Farewell My Concubine. We didn't have The Ice Storm. Man, the talent, talent to Miss Ripley is so yeah, fucking I mean, good. You maniac. We, we had The Girl <laughs> on the Bridge, but not Lovers on the Bridge, which uh, I know is a choice that is not going to um, go over well with anyone except for myself. I really love parts of Leos Crox's Lovers on the Bridge, but the whole of The Girl on the Bridge by Patrice Lacan, I find very intoxicating and was able to sort of force it into the bottom 90 Top 90, whatever you say. The, the final 10 films. Um, anyway, the 90s, good time. Going anywhere. You can read all of these, uh, read all our lists, read our 90s week coverage. And hopefully the uh, guest list post on Friday will be fun for people. There's a lot of overlap, it turns out, between you know various different people and what their fav- favorite movies of the 90s are. But increasingly, towards the end of the process, the lists we've been getting have been heavily annotated. Uh, Eli Roth sent us a list so long that it is literally, it's like a, a school essay. It's the 90s by Eli Roth. <laughs> and, then, and then there goes from there. Wow. And so uh, that was the, that was really fun to read. And there are others like that. Um, so hopefully that'll be enjoyable. August. August. The Enjoy. 90s. They're back. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week with Dave, we hope. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon. Soon going back to work. Looking forward to the fall, whatever season. I guess Lord of the Rings is it's not a movie, but it's TV now. I'll, I'll cover that. And um, we have a website, fightingintheworldroom.com. We haven't been doing it since the 90s, so you can't find many 90s movie reviews there. But we have been doing it for maybe a Maybe we should really talk about a 90s time. movie next week. Uh, maybe we should. Pick one. Uh, we'll tell you all in advance what it is. Uh, we don't plan that far. But anyway, fightingthorm.com. Go listen to our old episodes. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am over on IndieWire, as you well know by now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. Uh, yeah, you can find us all on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. And uh, hang in there for the dog days, folks, because things will be picking up. Uh, and how, um, in short order, and most importantly, we will have Dave back. And how. To, uh, make sure that we all behave ourselves. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. We're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can um, yell at David about what he left off the list in a safe space. Just be a little nice to him. Uh, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, Patches. What was it? In honor of Dragon Ball Super, superhero, the number one movie in Katie's heart. She can't wait to see it. Uh, which anime movie should Katie watch next so she finally understands what anime is? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Anime. <laughs>